couple of things before we get started. Uh, Zach and Christina to join me up front. Um, how about we do, go ahead and pass the art out now and uh, just take one, pass it around. I think it's going to be important to have as we go through the lesson. Tonight's art was done by Alex Brown. Great job, Alex. And uh, I hear there's a game going on tomorrow night, conference tournament game in the jungle. We need you there. I might be doing bath time for my kids, uh, but I'll be watching on my phone. So hope, pray that it doesn't fall into the bathtub. So um, just tomorrow night, what, what time's the game? Seven? Seven o'clock. It's going down. About lost my mind on Saturday screaming. All right, so uh, if you didn't know, but if you have a Uversion Bible app, it's a brown-looking uh, icon on your phone. If you don't have it, you can get it. It's free. Um, but in there, you can uh, click. When you open the app, you can hit more, then hit events, and then uh, click on Impact Christian Fellowship at IUPUI. And uh, you can check out the flow because we've got a lot we're going to cover. We're going to go as fast as we can because, honestly, as stressed out as you guys are, and as cold as it is, it, it got down to 10 now. So uh, you guys are an inspiration to me tonight. Thank you so much for coming. A lot of you are like, I need a distraction, honestly. Anyway, regardless, I'm glad you're here. So one of the things that's a requirement of all impact staff uh, with our national organization is for me to once a month take a personal retreat day. Um, and what that means is that you, it's not a, a vacation day. I I don't just spend it with my family. I have to be by myself, and the whole goal is not, is not to be productive. It's to be perceptive to what God is doing. Uh, many of you could probably benefit from doing a day like that yourselves um, because I think we live in a time where we're either being productive or we're being entertained. Would you guys agree with that? And we don't rest well. We don't we don't sit back and listen well to what God wants us to, to hear. And it's just because of our world that we live in. It's just so hard. We're either really working hard or we're like completely zoned out trying to look for something to entertain us. Amen? Nobody? Everybody? Yes. Everybody's there. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the space between these two. That's what we've been doing all semester when we say, let us hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And tonight, we're going to look at a glimpse into the church of Thyatira. If you want to remember how to say that, just ask Zach. I can't say it in this microphone, uh, but it is really funny and uh, odd. Anyway, but uh, this was a church uh, with definite strengths and definite weaknesses. And so I just want to say on the outset, before we get started, tonight... We're going to be talking a lot about, it's going to be a challenging night for every single one of us, because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible tipped me off to that uh, when I was a little kid, right? So every one of us has sin in our lives, and that's why a lot of people don't like to read the Bible, because the Bible is pretty straightforward about sin, right? We would like for it not to be sometimes, because it'd be much easier. Oh, you're okay, just be you, you know? And so... When we get into this passage and we get some, to some tough spots, brace yourself, take a deep breath. If you don't agree with what we're saying, uh, is this what the Bible says? Okay, uh, let's move forward, okay? Or you can say, I don't believe that. I'm out of here. And if you leave, that is okay. Uh, we, we, uh, that, I just wanted to say that right off the top. So this is Zach, Zach Inman. 
and uh, he's going to open us up tonight. Hey, everybody. It's me, Zach Inman, as he just said. Shout out to Pete in the back. Okay, so we are going to be talking about the church in Thyatira, and please don't ask me what my thing is to remember that, because I really don't want to tell you guys. Um, and to start us off, I just want to tell a little story about my mom. She grew up in Africa, and I know what you're thinking. That boy does not look black, and it's because I'm not, and she grew up as a missionary in Africa. So, but between her, she grew up for there, in there for 10 years, and while she was there growing up through, I think her sophomore, sophomore year of high school or something, she experienced a widely different idea of church of what we have in America today. There they have little mud huts that don't have air conditioning. People show up, women show up without tops to breastfeed their kids. That's totally acceptable. I thought that was weird, but that's something that they do in Africa. And the way they worship is just crazy screaming and they're just all, like all singing and worshiping and it's absolutely insane. So when my mom came over to America, she was very surprised by kind of the environment that she was in. And our family, we've always had the really strong view of the core tenets of the church. And I think oftentimes we often get meddled up with like details and tertiary issues and get angry and prideful about this kind of stuff. When in actuality, if you look in how people are worshiping across the world, it looks wildly different and can be very biblical and <laughs> very inspiring to see. But you don't see that. You see kind of one way of doing church and they're like, this is the only way ever. And then another person's like, no, we're the only way. Those guys suck. But it's not actually like that. And the one thing that you have to hold to is the core tenets that Jesus told us. You know, love God, love other people. <laughs> that's, the, that's the core of it. There are other primary pillars of the church that cannot be compromised. And I wanted to start out with this because the culture around the church is incredibly important. It's always going to transform the church. It's always going to transform the people and affect the people that are inside that building and inside that community. But, and that's okay. And that is... T is what church is partially meant to be, you know, a gathering of people within that culture. The problem is when people, things from the culture penetrate the church and are able to make people compromise on those core ideas. And when people start compromising on the core ideas of what it means to be a Christian, that is when we have a huge problem. When people are like, oh, yeah, there are certain things that are okay. You know, I can have sex outside of marriage and still follow God and be a strong Christian. Or I can commit homosexual acts, which is explicitly stated as a sexual sin, and, you know, still be cool with Jesus. And, like, there are churches that appeal to people by saying, it's like, oh, yeah, we're uh, appealing to these people. But they're actually building their foundation on lies and saying that that's okay. And these core tenets are held across every culture. There are many creeds, uh, like, you know, if, if you look at different creeds of what those core tenets are, 
And I just implore you guys to not get caught up in all the different little nitpicks, if, if it's like Calvinism or, you know, co completely free will or whether it be, you know, all, all this kind of stuff that, like, can be difficult to struggle with. That, that's all. It's just a conversation to talk over coffee with. It's not something that should divide a church. And I've experienced that in my lifetime, and that's very hard. And it's biblically damn mandated in Romans that we have unity in the church, and that's incredibly important. And the church in, with different cultures across the world that do things differently, and that's okay because we are all loving Jesus, we're all sharing the gospel. And that's very important for us to remember. But that culture outside, we are still called to be different. There are certain things that will always clash because outside of the church, there is sin and there's people who do not know the difference between you know, living a godly life and living a sinful life, and they, you know, live hedonistically. And that's something that we cannot let penetrate into the church. And it, I've seen it have de devastating effects. And I have another story to tell you. Uh, Andrew likes this one a lot. I came in and told it to him, and he said, oh, bro, you should totally say that. So this happened a couple weeks ago. The main theme of our message here is the Church of Thyatira. It is a very small church, which was allowed the culture to penetrate in and allow people, sexual sin to be rampant and people to think it's okay because of a false prophet. Um, and the main message here is when you say who, the answer is you. And that's saying when you see these things going on and happening, it's not your job to just sit there and be like, oh, yeah, that person's lost or, or like that's not my problem. Or it's like I'm, my walk is fine, or even though no one's walk is 100% fine, and just be like, ah, oh, that's whatever. The answer is God calls you to act. You as a believer, if you see some injustice or something happening, you should do something about it. I want to sh share a verse from Second Corinthians, I believe. Yeah, Second Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who their sake died and was raised. We are no longer living for like our grades or our, our social ego, that kind of stuff, whether people like us or not. We're living for Christ, and our will should be aligned with his, and that's what we're striving for. So when you see something that is wrong, just if you feel compelled to do it, just do it. You, God has written on our hearts a moral compass, and when you're believers, it's so strong. And it just, it's difficult to act. And I'll give you a story. Uh, I am the kind of person, whenever I'm walking on the streets and there's like a homeless guy begging for change, I'm kind of creeped out. I'm like, ugh. I'm like, I don't know if he's going to rob me. He kind of smells. His dog is like one eye. But it's like in the middle. I don't even know how it got there. And it, it, it always just kind of creeps me out. And, but then one, I had a conversation with my beautiful girlfriend, Hannah Belts, And we were talking about how, like, those people are, Jesus loves them just as much as he loves us. And how our, our culture kind of views homeless people as, like, subhuman or less than human, and you kind of just keep going, but those people need love just as much as any of us, and they even need it more, I'd say, because everyone just it just goes and passes by, and after that conversation, um, 
I was, I, w I was having, you know, that thought in my mind. And of course, I went to Panda Express, and I'm sure you guys know where I'm going with this. There was one of those homeless guys being like, hey, buddy, how you doing? That's actually what he sounded like. Don't make fun of me for this voice. This is what he sounded like. He's like, how you doing? How you doing? And of course, I go with my regular routine. I'm like, all right, keep your head down. Just keep walking. Then I'm like, wait, wait. This is an opportunity. <laughs> so I went up and talked to this guy. I since forgot his name, but... uh. He was like, oh, how you doing? Uh, I'm in the lowest place I've ever been in my life. You know, he has his whole speech prepared. I let him say it. Um, and then at the, at the end of it, I was like, so do you, do you need me to go in and buy you a meal from Panda Express or something? He's like, no, that's not really what I want. I really just want some Doritos and Coca-Cola and Snickers. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was like, that's... A really weird request, but I'm like, I know he's not gonna spend it on booze, so I'm like, I gave him a 20, I'm like, here, you can go buy yourself some of that. He's like, nah, man, I can't do that. And I'm like, why not? And he said, it's like, the people at the Dollar General, they kicked me out for being homeless. And then that kind of clicked in my head. I'm like, oh, this person's life is super hard and super difficult. So, I was late to a meeting that I was going to, but I went into Dollar General, I went and got a 12 pack of Coke, got some chips, got me a whole big bag of Snickers, and then I went out there, and then I sat there, and he's like, do you want, do you want to eat some chips with me? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure. So then I ate chips <laughs> with them, and I had a Coca-Cola, and uh, we talked a little bit about Jesus, and he was a believer. He was like, he was like oh, God bless you, but uh, I didn't think he had a very strong understanding of the gospel, so I just tried to reinforce that in him in any way I could. And then when I learned the lesson, it's like, well, when you think who, it's like, the answer is you. Or it's like, it's like, ah, someone else will deal with that homeless person. Ah, there's like homeless shelters and stuff like that. It's like, we are called to love all people, not just when it's convenient or not just when the girl is kind of cute and you want to like save her or something. It's all people we are called to I see you guys non back there with a cute girl comment. Get out of here. We, we are called to love all people. And that's not something that we should take lightly. And that's in the church and with our personal relationships. Um, so Revelation 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. All right, so we got to know a little bit about this church in Thyatira and uh, just a little bit of information about it. It was not a very significant city. <laughs> We've said this with emphasis. This is the most important city in Asia Minor. This was not. The only significance that Thyatira had is it was in a long plain in the, in the bottom of a valley, in a valley, and it was in between Sardis and Pergamum. That was the only significance. And if you were in a battle, your one step away from destroying per Pergamum and having some significance is knocking through Thyatira. There you go. That's the significance. But it's the longest letter. So the longest letter is written to the most insignificant city as far as all the cities go in the seven churches of Asia. And uh, one of the things that they were really good at, since they had a ton of foot traffic, was they got really good at selling things. So they sold all kinds of things. And we read about one of these merchants who grew up learning how to dye cloth purple. Her name was Lydia. And she's in Acts chapter 16. We're going to talk about her a little bit later. 
Um, but what we've unearthed with archaeology is that Thyatira was full of these trade guilds. And so it was basically the uh, exclusive business organization. If you wanted your business to succeed and to have notoriety, you had to join one of these guilds. And in order to join these guilds, they did all kinds of crazy things that had to do with idol worship and sexual immorality and uh, all kinds of things like this. And so the temptation was for Christians to keep everything when I'm going to worship with my fellow believers the same, and then I'm just going to do an add-on, okay? I keep everything the same, orthodox teaching. Let's just add this on. This is no big deal if I want to succeed. And so I want to keep that in mind as we go throughout this passage. It says the Son of God had two characteristics. This is from week two in our small group study. But he had eyes like flames of fire and feet like burnished bronze. Eyes like flames of fire. Jesus is well aware of what you've been doing, what I've been doing in public, in private, 24 hours a day, Jesus is well aware of that. That should freak you out a little bit. And he sees the very core of who we are. And his feet are like burnished bronze. This is the swiftness of the feet of God to punish sin. Okay, Jesus is ever mobile. There's never a place that we will go where he cannot reach us. And so Jesus wanted the church in Thyatira to know that he was aware of the compromise and what was happening among them. And he saw how they continued to worship while engaging in this false worship. And so we are well aware, and this is so weird, this is what we're talking about today, because how many things have you seen in the news, if you opened your news app, if you've had any time, how many church scandals have been happening? Catholic Church, Southern Baptist Convention, I mean, crazy stuff. Like where you're reading and you're like, did this really happen? Did, did that, the hundreds of pastors do that, you know, abuse, the church found out about it, did nothing about it. They retained their job. Okay? That's exactly what was happening in Thyatira. And that just makes me so upset. I don't, it, that should make you upset, too, if you're a Christian. And so I had a text exchange with a supporter that attends a Southern Baptist Convention Church, and I was kind of ranting a little bit. And I, my, my line was, I looked up the text to see exactly what I said. We need to do better than this. And what was I saying? Someone else needs to do something about this. Was I saying, Andrew, you need to do something. You need to have more accountability. You need to be more pure in the way that you live your life. Ouch, right? When you say who, the answer is you. So verse 19 is Mr. Zachary. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. Okay, so again, Jesus knows about the good things happening in the church in Thyatira, and the word for works here is defined as that which one normally does, your normal everyday behavior. Um, so the following four things were done on the regular. And so just so you know, a lot of times we have focused so much, and I think I'm going to say this because I said to some of our uh, supporters that are here tonight who helped with the meal, thank you again so much. And um, the, pr the previous generation was really good at hating the sin in the world, but really bad about loving the sinner. Would you think that's true? Our gener well, your generation, I'm not sure I can be included yet. I'm mean, 37 this month. I'm getting old, getting gray hair. 
But listen, our generation, your generation, is really good at loving the sinner and sometimes struggles with hating the sin. Okay? And somehow we've got to find that balance. And for, for the things that they did really well, there were four things that they did really well and that were ever-increasing. Um, the first was their love for each other. Their love was Jesus-like. The best definition for love I've, I've heard in a long time is that love is doing what is spiritually best for someone else. It's not enabling someone in bad behavior. It's not living, you know, letting someone live a life, a destructive life. It's stepping in and helping them, whether that's buying a Snickers or, you know, uh, I'm going to share a story later about how God called me out in the middle of the night, uh, literally. Um, but keep that in mind. The second thing they were strong at was their faith. And that this just means to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. Their belief in Jesus was authentic. This is how they should have known how to detect when things weren't quite right. Have you ever had that happen to you? You're sitting in a sermon and something is said and you're like, I don't think that's right. You know what my mom does? On the way out of church, she tells the preacher, hey, that wasn't right. And they have like a 20-minute conversation there. She's intense. Imagine having that woman as your mom. Three, their service. This means to wait upon. They were meeting the needs of those among them. This is what the early church was known for, was their service. Is that what we're known for, our generosity and service today? No. I wish we should be, because churches are doing a lot of really great things, but no one's talking about it. Maybe we need to do more. Maybe we need to serve more, give more. Um, number four, they had patient endurance. They were able to endure. This is the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. It is aggressive endurance. This church in Thyatira was built for longevity. Don't you want your church to be built for longevity? Do you want to be, and we've heard of this recently, of churches closing their doors because they can't get enough funding or enough people to attend? Is that really what we want? No. We want longevity. They weren't easily intimidated. And not only that, but after that, it gives like an, an end here. Their latter works exceeded the first. Their dedication wasn't drifting into mediocrity. They were abiding by the engineer's motto. Engineers, come on, what's the engineer's motto? 70-some-year-old man told me about this. Schultz. Schultz. Continuous improvement. Engineer's motto. I had it on my wall in my office at church. I needed to get it on my wall. I don't really have an office now. I have a corner. Should stick it up there. <laughs> Continuous improvement. They're all about it. If you're an engineer, I just, I just calc to, that's not worth anything. Continuous improvement. Okay. I'm totally distracted. When you say who, the answer is you. And you are the one that God has been preparing with your good works. Your faith, your love, your faith, service, and patient endurance. Christine is going to read 20 through 25. All righty. Whoops. I just disappeared. Okay. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of, their, of her works. 
and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Man, the Bible is intense. And sometimes I forget that this is literally Jesus talking. This isn't John. Jesus is saying this. Uh, just to reiterate that. But he says, I have this against you. And immediately I think, oh great, here we go. Jesus knows everything about me. He's got the eyes that of flames burn with fire. He's looking deep into who I am. What is he going to say? I have this against you. What would Jesus dot, dot, dot say about your life right now? Very interesting thing to think about. As long as we are still in this world uh, as we currently are, there will always be something for us to work on and to sharpen up. We will never arrive on earth. Read Romans 7 and deal with that for a little bit. But this was the case with the following issue. He said that they tolerated a woman named Jezebel. And this is what the whole message really comes out of this phrase like it or not, Zach and I were talking, we could have done this message on like 17 different topics. We have to choose one, right? So the word for tolerate here is not what you would think, is to leave it to someone to do something with the implication of distancing oneself from the event. Isn't that what you do and I do to sleep at night sometimes? I had a friend in high school who's not a Christian would just say that all the time. Well, I just don't think about that kind of stuff. That bums me out. What is really happening? People are dying of not having proper nutrition. You know, there are people all over the world that don't know Jesus uh, going to bed tonight. Uh, what are we doing? Um, they were watching this woman in their church promote compromise, and they were waiting for someone else to step up and stop it. Jesus was reminding them that their responsibility was to stand up for what is right. It was time to stop waiting for someone to step up and start saying, well, I get no one stepping up, no one, no one, chips, Coke, Snickers, anyone, right? We have to be the person to step up and to do something. That's why I wanted him to share that story. It's so good. So who was Jezebel? No one really knows. I hate that. I hate when you're reading a book about the Bible and you're looking for clarification in your study Bible and it creates 17 more questions. We don't even know who she was. Um, there's tons of speculation, but we do know who she was in the Old Testament. And it did not end well for her. Something to do with uh, dogs licking up her blood. You can read it in 1 Kings chapter 16. And she's around from 16, chapter 16 of 1 Kings all the way through 2 Kings 9. She's a real interesting person. Let's just say that. But she was huge into Baal worship. And uh, Ashtoreth, um, one was the male uh, god and one was the female god of fertility. All kinds of sexual sin idolatry, look up Elijah and the prophets of Baal to get a good example of what we're dealing with. So when, when Jesus would say that this woman, her, whether her name was Jezebel or her name was, uh, you know, Mary, I have no idea. Her name is probably not Mary. Um, I don't have any idea. But we do know that she was causing a lot of problems in the church. And we knew a few things about her. She claimed to be a prophetess. Every false prophet in the church that is promoting a false teaching will always claim to have authority. And this is why we really struggle with people that are saying something that's not right. Because they are so convincing. Like, you listen to them, you're like, oh, I think that is okay. I think, oh, 
man, that sounds so good, right? It's so, so hard. Um, that's why, you know, it's Ryan Frazier's fault that we had to have that conversation with those Mormon girls on the fourth floor of the campus center. That was awkward. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, but, but sometimes that happens. And uh, so that's Ryan's fault. Um, but they were seducing the Christians in Thyatira to do two things. Zach already alluded to it, sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. The first one, the reason that that's, you see that all the time in the, in the Greek, or the Greek, the King James, it's the word fornication, which immediately sounds like an old, weird word that older people say. And you're like, I don't even know what that means, and I'm not sure why you're so mad about it. But it is the Greek word for porneia, and it means any sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. It's like a broad term. And so if you're looking at a machine gun word to hit all of them at once, this is it. So when he says sexual immorality, it is like literally all the sexual activity uh, outside the covenant and protection of marriage. And the second thing, the reason that that's a big deal, is because uh, the whole idea of living above reproach. And this gets really confusing. We could talk all night about this. We don't have time. 1 Corinthians uh, 8 through 10, you can read all about it there where Paul unpacks it so beautifully. Um, but they couldn't compromise. And this is, this is a great quote. Here's where Jezebel came in. She urged upon the Christians that, that there was no need to cut themselves off from society or abstain from the guilds. Remember, the, the, it wasn't the Better Business Bureau. Uh, it was something far different, right, uh, of these guilds. Um, and Jesus promises that there will be consequences for those who follow her teaching and there always will be consequences for sin. And then he gives a shout out to those who haven't given in to the false teaching. You like that? To those who had not compromised, who do not hold to this teaching. The word for hold is like the word that is used of a pregnant woman uh, being pregnant and holding the baby close to her. You know, that don't hold it close. And he says, who, who, who practice the deep things, the so-called deep things of Satan. Jesus is probably alluding to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.10 when he talked about the deep things of God. The deep things of Satan will never compare to or outlast the deep things of God. Then he uses a completely different word other than the one he said earlier. And he says, hold fast. And the hold here is a powerful hold. Whereas the, the gentle hold of a, of a mother, and then you get the powerful hold. Well, I, that's the mother too. I know, I'm married to one. And, you know, they are powerful. The only way that we will make it through this life without compromise is to powerfully hold on to the four works that were mentioned earlier. Love, faith, service, patient endurance. So when you say who, the answer is you. And Christina is going to share her story now. So in the past few days, I have been um, really challenged in my faith, and I feel I've grown significantly just from preparing this because my mind has been focused on sharing this message with you guys. And I've prayed many times, and I hope that you guys benefit from what we all have to say. And most of all, I hope that you always remember from tonight the message, when you say who, the answer is you. And I believe we all need to stand firm in our faith while still showing love and compassion in our words and our actions. So 
to start off, um, as Christians, would you agree that we are to stand up for what is right and what is true and what is honorable? In Matthew 5, verse 16, it reads, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we are to be shining lights for God's glory. But how exactly can we be lights? As Romans 12, verse 2 instructs, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So we are to be lights for God, by not conforming to this world. So how can we be lights and stand for the truth? Well, first we have to know what the truth is. So as Psalm 1 verse 2 states, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. So we need to delve into the scriptures and find out what the Lord is trying to tell us. And in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 it states, above all, we need to fear God and keep his commandments. And Jesus also says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we're supposed to stand up for what Christ would stand up for. And we are to obey the commands of the Bible. So before, the t before telling the story I'd like to share with you tonight, I'd like to read from Romans 1, verse 26, and then skip down to verse 32. So for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of, the, of their heir, which was due. Those who practice such things are deserving of death. So last year, God presented me with an opportunity, and one of my high school teachers was discussing in a speculatory manner whether or not Jesus would attend a gay wedding, and if he would simply sit there. He wouldn't hate those who commit such evil acts because he, Jesus, is loving, my teacher defended. The Romans 1 passage that I just read, as well as 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, which reads, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. These verses always come to mind when it comes to explaining the sinfulness of unnatural relations as well as other sins and the punishment that comes from them. So when overhearing this conversation between my high school teacher and my friends, I felt overwhelmed by the spirit and felt empowered to speak. I said calmly with a fire within my soul, may I politely interrupt while my teacher was defending his argument. Immediately, I started speaking with what felt not to be of my own accord, but led by the Spirit. And the Spirit made me recall scriptures and spoke for me about, and made me mention Matthew 21, 12 through 13, where Jesus flipped the tables in the temple because of the sin that was taking place in his father's house. Sin was being wrongfully committed against the Lord. And I reference Romans 1, what I read earlier, and how it states in verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. I firmly believe that Jesus would not be accepting of this kind of behavior, nor would he sit and be silenced and let the wedding continue. Jesus would end that wedding the moment he walked in those doors. And as Christians, I believe we need to stand up for what is right, even if we stand alone, and be strong and courageous when teaching the truth, because just as Joshua, as God commanded Joshua in Joshua 1, verses 8 through 9. However, along with speaking the truth boldly, we need to speak the truth in love. 
This weekend, I had the honor and privilege to uh, attend a ladies' getaway, and let me tell you, I had to come to Jesus moment that I desperately needed. So it was just a few days ago, I was one of the people who said, okay, I need to speak the word of God boldly, but my boldly definition meant harshly. So God spoke to me this weekend to tell me to get off my self-righteous pedestal, and I am beyond thankful. <laughs> I had been under the impression that sin was intolerable, which it is, but when I would see people committing sin inwardly, I, not consciously, I would think, I'm glad I'm not like them. Just like the Pharisees in the New Testament, and Jesus explicitly rebuked those Pharisees for their self-righteous hearts. Yes, we need to speak truth, but we also need to speak it with grace. James 3, 8 through 10 reads, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, this is the key, with it, with our tongues, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Shame on me for thinking against those made in God's image. How dare I think of myself more highly than I ought? Who made me judge and who made me God? I have sin in my life and I shouldn't want to try to bring, and I should want to bring that person to God rather than judging them so harshly. So we need to read the Lord's word and be grounded in the truth, but we need to share those truths as Jesus did with grace. The Bible is our anchor, and there's tons still to learn, and we can't become complacent in our faith and let Jezebel come near and potentially corrupt our hearts. I need to pray to have a clean conscience and pray to have boldness like Paul, boldness like Peter, and boldness like Jesus to stand up for what is right and be gracious at the same time. To God be the glory in all things, because truly the Lord does his work in many ways, through many avenues, and you very well could be that avenue for someone. But we can't be afraid to listen to the call that the Lord may, try, may be trying to give us. I'm here telling you tonight that when you feel that conviction in your soul, like I did with my teacher, don't ignore it. I believe it's God speaking to you, and he wants you to act. If we keep pushing off the responsibility to someone else, when is anything going to change? How can we expect the world to change if we aren't willing to change ourselves? We need to step up. Again, I'm speaking to myself. I need to step up. I need to speak the Lord's will. I can't shy away, but I need to speak his word in love and in truth. This, this is our anchor. This is where we can get all the answers that we need. This is how the Lord speaks to us. So if we want to know what he wants us to do, I need to open this daily to find out. We need to take control of our faith. So when it comes to the point where we have to be bold and stand up for the truth, we can show grace and correct the prevalent sin all around us. We need to be ready for those hard questions, and we can't stand aside and let someone else do something. When you say who, the answer is you. Come on now. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> How would you like her teaching your chemistry recitation? I would. All right. Might have to just join that sometime. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. A few questions out of the passage and out of what they've shared. First question. Do you realize that Jesus sees your weaknesses? Do you realize it? And still loves you. You need to hear that. It's so simple. That's little kid simple. 
But that is so important. He sees your weakness. He loves you. He created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Think about that for a second. Second question. Do you realize that Jesus sees your strengths and is not impressed? He's not like, oh, my goodness. Michael Smith did this. He's like, uh, or whomever in the room. I Pick a name. Joel Nyman. <laughs> anyway, so, so he takes his name tag off. All right. So we, we have seven of our students that I could count in the top 100. Okay, and maybe been more. If I missed you, I'm sorry. Maybe there's eight. Maybe there's nine. Ten. Do I hear eleven? Um, that's great. I am so proud of you for your hard work. We have hundreds of students who are not in the top 100 and who did not apply and could care less. We're not nominated. And l- listen, God loves you in spite of what you're trying to do to impress him. He already loves you. He's already maxed out. Keep trying hard. Be, be the best that you can be. But Jesus, even before he did a single miracle at his baptism, you know what the Father said about him? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. No water into wine. No blind people seeing. No paralytics walking. This is the one that I, I love. Hasn't made the top 100 hasn't made a B, but I love them, okay? Do you realize that Jesus sees your strengths is not impressed? Of course, he loves when we succeed, but he's already maxed out. He doesn't need us to perform for him. Third question, will you be this generation's Lydia or just another Jezebel? Think about Lydia. Timeline-wise, she's born in Thyatira. She ends up in Philippi. She ends up becoming like a house church planter. She's like this crazy woman. She like has a house that's big enough to have 35 people in it because there's that many people in that, like, that group that, that Paul was traveling with. I mean, she, she has like a, like a very big house, a lot of money. Nothing is said of her husband. He's probably just carrying her purse. I don't know, but she is amazing. She's a strong woman. She, at this point, when John's writing, is probably dead. And probably the undertones of this is, who is going to be the next Lydia? Think of the people in your church that you love and you see and you're like, I want that faith that they have. They're going to die. You're next. In 10 to 15 years, you are going to be leading our churches. I'm so excited about that. But you got to get ready. you got to get ready to be this generation's Lydia. Make that purple cloth. Last question. What can you do if you really believe that the answer is you? <laughs> so crazy how we start one end of the conversation, like with Christina, and we go all the way, and God's teaching us the whole time, lean toward restoration and not condemnation. The crazy, one of the cra- weirdest passages in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, guy in the church in Corinth is sleeping with his stepmom. Don't do that, okay? And even in that weird situation where we'd be like, ugh, get him out of there, right? That's gross. Don't do that. Paul says, get him out. Let his flesh be consumed. 
so that his spirit may be saved. Isn't that an interesting thing for him to say? He doesn't say, get him out of there so we can actually have church. He says, get him out of there so we can get him back. Get him out of there so we can get him back. Always restoration when you say who the answer is. You. I want to invite the worship team up um, to come up, and we're going to sing one last song. I want to share a story. So we're having our first preparation meeting, me and Zach and Christina, Lincoln Square Pancake House represent. And uh, it's at 8 a.m. Who likes to get up and eat breakfast at 8 a.m. when you've been? Yeah, all right. Zach does with his. Anytime you show up to Lincoln Square in pajama pants, it's a good day, right? And so we're there. We're having a good time. But I was exhausted. Let me tell you why I was exhausted. Because the night before, we're getting ready to talk about this. When you say, God woke me up with this one day. When you say who the answer is you, it was in my head when I woke up. Knew that was what we were going to talk about. And so I get a phone call. Me, 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 me. My phone sits on the, on the printer in our, my bedroom. Me, me. So it like amplifies it. And so I'm like, I look at the phone. And it's like this kid used to be in our youth group. I hadn't talked to him in two years. I was like, why is he calling me butt dial? Put it back down. I said, okay, this is weird. Two in a row, this doesn't happen. I sent it to voicemail. Because uh, it's 12.30 a.m. and I'm out of it. I know I'm meeting them at 8 a.m. I'm doing the math. I'm not getting very much sleep. My son had to go to the bathroom and almost didn't make it. And I was just trying to, you know. Anyway, so I'm like, okay, I text him. Are you okay? Hi, Alex. Everything okay? I didn't even know if that was, how does he have my new number? I changed my number even since then. Really can't, you know, get away from this. And he calls me again. Meh, 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 meh. I was like, okay, God, here we go. And my wife's like, I said, I've got to get up in the morning. I can't deal with what, whatever's going on I can't deal with. And she goes, how are you going to meet with college students tomorrow? Tell them that the answer is them and not answer your phone. My wife's awesome. So I pick it up and say, hey, man, how's it going? Like, as, like, as positive as I can. He's like, he's crying. Andrew, I need you to come help me right now. I've got no one else to call. I said, well, what's going on? Well, my tag was expired. My car got towed. I'm with my girlfriend in New Newcastle. I said, you're where? Why are you in Newcastle? Um, I got a restraining order against my parents because I... Push my mom down. I can't call them. They're the only ones I can call. And I, I went through my phone, and your name was the only one I could think of that I could call. So what do you do in that situation? And I'm beating all the way around it. I'm trying to get to sleep at this point. Have you tried this? Yes, I don't know what to do. To try this? Yes, I don't know what to do. I wasn't as willing as Zach with the chips and stuff. I said, man, I will be there. And I drowsily drank a Mountain Dew as I drove to Newcastle and took care of his situation, made sure he had a safe place to stay, and drove my butt all the way back home, 2.15. And, um, and then I made it, 8 a.m. I made it, barely. Pulled in at 8.01. And... Um, 
So when I'm there in the hotel, I would call it a hotel, a motel. I'm sitting there, and I said, hey, I'm going to pray for you guys. And this is a guy who's proclaimed atheist, came to our youth group every week, wants nothing to do with God. And so I just closed my eyes, and I prayed as hard and as long as I possibly could and intelligible as I could at this point. And I look up when I said amen, and both of them are just weeping, both of them. We don't need God. We don't, you know, they weren't saying that, but that's what they were saying before. And um, I got a hold of him the next day to make sure he, had a, he was okay. He was getting a ride back to his place. I said, do you think God is trying to tell, tell you something? Yeah. I said, dude, you've got to pay attention to what God is saying to you. If I don't respond back to him, I never get that opportunity to earn the right to say something to him. This is how we've got to love people. Okay? This is what we've got to do. If you're going to be leading the church in the next 10 to 15 years, you've got to figure that out. I've got to figure that out. Because I trust you guys. I'm excited. I really am. So this last song is perfect. And if you've got time, we would like to sing it. So let's stand together. I'm going to close in prayer. And... Um, I also wanted to say this, that if um, we have had an insane amount of situations with families and um, where your families are just in bad shape, I don't know, I know what's going on. The devil just doesn't want our families to succeed. And even in my family, uh, with cancer, my mother-in-law, and um, if you would like some prayer tonight, we've already talked to, to, to one tonight. So I expect you to come pray with me. Um, but I'm going to be right up over here on the other side of Michaela, who's doing a great job painting. I would love to pray with you tonight. And uh, let, me, let me pray right now. Father, thank you so much for tonight. I pray that you would just please uh, pour out your spirit on us. I was asking, God, that you would just draw us all to repentance, that we would return to you, that we would change our minds about who we think you are, and uh, we would embrace everything that you want us to be. Thank you for your grace that speaks deep to our souls. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you'd like to pray, I'm going to be right over here. I'd love to pray with you tonight.